You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. Go ahead and turn with me to Leviticus chapter 23, verse 9. Leviticus 23, verse 9. And in case I forget about it later, you ladies, there is a women's Christmas trip meeting for the New York City trip in here right after the service. It'll be brief, and um, but I know there's a lot of folks already signed up for that. Well, I'll tell you what, I wish I could get y'all as excited about other things. I mean, them women bought tickets quicker than you could blink. But New York trip, and by the way, just so you women know, the men's fishing trip does not count to offset your New York trip. Y'all bought flights for that thing. We drive to, we get one extra this year, I think, men. Let's talk about that later. All right. Well, someone once said, yeah, what if employees pushed back against time, you know, wasting time, wasting email chains, purposeless projects, unproductive meetings, so they could be utilized at their highest level of contribution to their companies and in their careers? What if society stopped telling us to buy more stuff and instead allowed us to create more space to breathe and think? What if society encouraged us to reject what was, what's been accurately described as doing things we detest, to, to buy things we don't need, with money we don't have, to impress people we don't like? What if we stopped being oversold the value of having more and being undersold the value of having less? What if we stopped celebrating being busy as a measurement of importance? What if instead we celebrated how much time we had spent listening, pondering, meditating, and enjoying time with the most important people in our lives? What if the whole world shifted from the undisciplined pursuit of more to the disciplined pursuit of less? Only better. <laughs> hey friend, time matters. And that's why we're to kick off this new year feasting on the feast of the Lord. In Leviticus 23, God prescribes seven feasts. The Sabbath day, the, the weekly anchor for all the other feasts. If we go back to Numbers 28, we see the idea there of daily, weekly, as in a Sabbath, as in the Sabbath, monthly, seasonally and annually. And all this clarifies one central fact about God's children who were in fact headed at the time these commands were given, were headed into the promised land. Weren't there yet, right? And that fact is this, all of our lives are to revolve around the worship and service of the Lord, not compartmentalized, all of it. You know, the, we, we, we spoke of the daily offerings, the Sabbath, the Passover feast, and Feast of Unleavened Bread, um, which we looked at last week. But today we're going to look at the Feast of First Fruits. All holy, intentional gatherings under the umbrella of the Lord's appointed times. If you haven't been here, you need to know that feast... That word for feast in Leviticus 23 literally means appointed time. To feast is to appoint God time on our spiritual calendars. James 4 verse 14 says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what is your life, for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. R.A. Torrey was born uh, 167 years ago, had a long life for the Lord. Uh, he graduated from Yale back when he was a little better school. He later joined D.L. Moody's evangelistic work. 
great man of God, but he said, there is more joy in Jesus in 24 hours than there is in the world in 365 days, and I've tried them both. <laughs> and with only 365 days left in, in this year, actually there's 351 days until New Year's Day 2024, in case you're keeping count, right? With just such limited time, our calendars become wonderfully critical to our walk with God. So I don't want us to stand back up in honor of God's word, get our calisthenics. You may not, you may be breaking your, your, uh, your desire to do more exercise. I'm gonna help you out. All right, Leviticus 23, verse nine, these are the words of God. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. That, that's Sunday. And on the day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb, a year old without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the grain offering with it shall be two tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, food offering to the Lord with a pleasing aroma. And the drink offering with it shall be of wine, a fourth of a hen. And you shall eat neither bread nor grain, parched or fresh, until this same day, until you have brought the offering of your God. It is a statue forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. I want to ask Heather Reinhardt to come and ask God's blessings uh, on the message today. Thanks, Heather. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for just allowing us to be here today to worship you. I pray that you just open our hearts to the words that Went has to tell us and the message that you want us to have today. And dear Lord, just thank you for letting us be here. And I pray we have a good week next week. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So these, these, there were these two brothers, you know, and they were always getting into trouble. And, uh, you know, all, all throughout their lives as they were growing up, the whole, the whole town knew how bad they were. And uh, the parents had tried every biblical means they knew how of to discipline these two kids, but they just kept on getting in trouble. And so the town knew about it, the church knew about it, the preacher knew about it. And so the parents went to the preacher and they said, hey, look, would you please talk to our boys? You know, we just can't, they just keep getting into trouble. And he said, okay, but I'm not going to meet with them on the same day. I'm going to meet with one, you know, tomorrow and one the next day. He said, okay. So the kid comes into the uh, preacher's office. This preacher was like a horse cart right, big old burly fellow with a booming, strong voice. You know what I mean? And so the kid comes in and he sits down and the preacher looks at him with those glaring eyes. And he says, tell me, son, where is God? I mean, the boy's eyes about popped out of his head. He couldn't speak, he was nervous as a cat. So the preacher leaned in and said more sternly, son, where is God? Well, man, he was, he was like trembling with shock and just couldn't answer. So this big burly pastor stood up and he leaned over that boy and he shook his finger in his face. He said, son, tell me where is God? Well, the kid jumped up, scared as could be, ran out the door of the preacher's office, ran straight home to his house, ran into his house, slammed, went into his room, went into his closet and slammed the door. Well, his brother heard this. His brother went in there, opened up the door, said, man, what in the world happened? He goes, oh man, oh man, we are in trouble now. I mean, we are in big trouble. God is missing and they think we did it. <laughs> well, listen, hey, 
those those boys may have thought they did it, but you can't you can't uh, you can't steal God. But I will tell you something: God is missing from our calendars. He's missing. You look at you look at your calendar right now. See how many things are scheduled for other people, other places, other vacations, cruises. I got one on the books. <laughs> but how much of that time is allotted for the God who saves us? Not just saved, he is saving us. Leviticus 18 through 22, those chapters are, we, there, there's a theme in there of a holiness regarding our conduct. But in this chapter, in Leviticus 23, God shifts that focus from holy conduct to holy calendars. And so today we're looking at the Feast of First Fruits. And again, we're seeing all these feasts through the meaning of the word feast, God's appointed time. And we've seen the Sabbath, which was our restful, heaven-sent pause. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. Last week we saw the Passover as our spiritual protection from the death angel from eternity in hell. And today we're looking at first fruits, which begins as God's generous provision. So if the Passover demonstrates the mercy of the Lord, right, in letting death pass over his people, then first fruits demonstrates the grace of the Lord in letting life pass through his people. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve, eternal punishment for sin. Grace is getting what we don't deserve, eternal life with Christ. We're saved from punishment to provision and purpose, from death to life. So we jump in at uh, Leviticus 23, 9, and we've, we can see four encouraging truths through God's command for the feast of first fruits. And the first is the fountain, as in the fountain of guidance and gifts and all that is good, right? Church, we need to understand that God is a giver. God is a giver. I hope you all have someone in your life that has demonstrated generosity to you. And it may not just be monetarily. It may be someone who invested in your life. It may be a boss who gave you a, a break. It may be a coach. It, I don't know who it is, but I pray you have someone. And how much more so does our perfect heavenly father give to us? And I don't have time to list everything that he has given to us. It would take a year of Sundays. But God, I'll just lead out with a few of these. God gives wisdom and understanding. Ephesians 1:16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. If you, if you know Christ, you have a wisdom that the world that does not know him does not have. And it doesn't come by simple education. It comes by the Holy Spirit. God gives peace. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. God gives the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, 5. God gives us a way out of sin. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. For there's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted beyond that which you're able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape so that you'll be able to bear it. There's always a way out. God gives us a new heart. God gives us our next steps. God gives us answered prayer. God gives us unanswered prayer. God gives us spiritual gifts, victory power. He gives us his own intercessory prayers daily. 
God gives us protection. God gives us a call to ministry. Some of you in here may have a calling on your lives and not understand it yet. Galatians 1.15, Ephesians 3.7, 1 Timothy 1.12 says, He who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. God gives purpose. God gives righteousness. God gives joy. God gives promises. God gives blessings. And on and on and on and on. <laughs> and maybe one of the most important things that God gives, in addition to his son and our salvation, is his own word. God gives his own words. Leviticus 23, verse 9. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them. Now the Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. They weren't really uh, originally arranged that way. They got rearranged in the 1600s by a librarian. But anyway, it's all there, the contents there. But the Pentateuch is the first five books and they believe that Moses wrote that, the majority of that, or had a scribe write it, but he dictated that to that, stri that scribe. Of course, he didn't write the stuff that was about his own death and burial, but Pentateuch. And the, the Pentateuch comes from the word five and, and tekos, the second part of Pentateuch, means uh, scrolls. So literally Pentateuch means five scrolls. It will refer to the law of Moses. So in, in the New Testament, when you see the words law of Moses or Moses and the prophets, it just means the Bible. It's, it's referencing itself, the Bible, all right? Uh, Jesus said in Luke 24, 44, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So Jesus recognized the Old Testament as the very words of God. Now you may have uh, half a dozen or so references in Exodus where it says the Lord said to Moses, but it, it increases throughout the Pentateuch. All right? And Leviticus, it's over 30 times. In Numbers, it's over 40 times. And then in Deuteronomy 1 verse 3, in the 40th year on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had commanded him uh, in commandment to them. All right? By the way, that would have been January, February on our calendar, which is our time period right now. What Moses is saying, what he's reminding God's people of, is that God's not just speaking to me. And you can look up in your ESV uh, app right now. Look, just type in the, uh, the Lord spoke to Moses. It just, boom, just tons of references to it. But God's not just speaking to Moses. He's speaking to all of us. And that's what Moses wants us to know because Deuteronomy 1 verse 6 says, the Lord our God, he's re re referencing back to the children of Israel. He says, the Lord our God said to us, Psalm 119 verse 105, your word is a lamp unto my and a light into my path, my path, my feet. When Jesus was praying to his heavenly father on behalf of his disciples over in John 17, verse 17, he said, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. John 15, verse three, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. The Lord is a giver, right? But what value do God's commands have in our lives if we don't believe the commands were given by him? That's the problem in our world, right? It's not just sin. It's that people don't believe the words of God. Even God's own people don't believe them. Your calendars will not change in 2023 to more honor the Lord Jesus Christ unless you understand that his word is a priceless commodity that directs the way we schedule our days and weeks and years, right? He is our fountain overflowing. And his holy word is part of the many good things that he gives to all people.
I want you all to do this. Just go. Just inhale and exhale. God gave you that. God gives life. He gives it physically. Genesis 2 verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Acts 17.25, he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Job 33 verse 4, the Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Isaiah 42 verse 5, thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it. Friend, it's not metaphorical church banter to say that God, if God removes himself from us, we'll all die. That's not just some spiritual kind of thing to say. Listen to Job 34 verse 14. It's literal. If he should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. <laughs> As long as there are people on this planet still breathing, lost or saved, rebellious against God or full of faith in Christ. If humans exist, it's because God has not yet gathered his spirit and his breath to himself. That's the only reason. Don't just stitch it on a pillow. <laughs> it's not just a, a rally cry for sanctity of life. From every infant in the womb to every senior adult in a nursing home and everyone in between, God gives them life. You mock him if you choose, but you wouldn't take your next breath without him. Every time I inhale and exhale, I have enough to be thankful for. He gives life. He gives it physically. Second, he gives it spiritually. John 3, 16 is a pretty easy place to go for this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He gives physically, He gives spiritually, which is everything He gives spiritually is also eternally. And lastly, He gives abundantly. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. God gives everything, but it's His holy word that teaches us that. Because God is our fountain. Now you may know that a gallon of water is about 8 pounds. It's actually 8.34 pounds. But did you know that from flowing over the Niagara Falls, both on the Canadian side, which is 90% of the water, and on the American side, which is about 10%, there's 757,500 gallons of water falling every second. That's 3,160 tons of water a second. That's like the, the maximum takeoff weight of seven 747s. That's like the average American cruise ship going over that waterfall every minute. That's the weight of that water. Do you know 28% of the entire planet's fresh water goes over the Niagara Falls? This one waterfall alone is enough to provide water to 55 million people per minute. Niagara Falls gives a lot, doesn't it? A lot of water, electricity, tourism uh, dollars, beautiful scenery. But I'm going to tell you something, friend. In all its glory, it cannot compare to the fountains of heaven. <laughs> Bigger than any runway filled with 747s or weight of a cruise ship. 
is the weight of the truth of God that He's given to us, life flowing from the waterfalls of heaven on us. There's a song that teaches the reason for the First Fruits Festival. I didn't have time to have Hunter come up and sing it today, but I think you know it. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy. And buddy, they ain't streams. That's the only part I'd change about that. They're waterfalls. Waterfalls of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. That's why we get loud. Because <laughs> the waterfall's big. And it's so loud, the waterfall, if you've ever been near a waterfall, you've got to yell to speak to each other. Leviticus 23.9 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying. And that statement is just a solemn reminder as he kicks off this section that these commands are from the mouth of God through man, not by man. I love that our God doesn't need, he doesn't read from a script that someone else wrote. He, he says it himself. There is a fountain and it never ceases. But there's also a future. God said in Leviticus 23.9, listen to these words, these hopeful words. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when, when you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, right? Did you know that the first fruits festival wasn't even to be enacted yet when it was commanded? It was a command. The first fruits were, when it was given, it was a command for later. Once you're in the land, it was anticipation. The future is described for anticipation. When, when, when it's described for destination, Land, he's always talking about the land. We, sing the, we just sang the song, what he's done, what he's done, all the glory and the honor to the sun. My sins are forgiven, my future is heaven. I praise God for what he's done. It's a location. It's not just ambiguous pie in the sky. There are locations, there are destinations God sets out in front of us. I hope our calendar is one of them. The Lord has a destination for his people in the first fruits. We're in anticipation of that destination. Of course, then the promised land. And of course, that destination isn't just physical, which is why the future is also for multiplication. Leviticus 23, verse 10, and reap its harvest. You shall bring the sheaf of first fruits of your harvest to the priest. Did you know that before they even had land, before they were in the promised land, God's already telling them what to do with their harvest. They don't even have land yet. And he's not even talking about seeds and cultivation. He's saying, hey, there's going to be fruit. And when that happens, here's what you're supposed to do with it. <laughs> That's hope. Deuteronomy 29, 14, God says, it's not with you alone that I'm making this sworn covenant. This is Deuteronomy 29, 14 and 15. But with whoever is standing here with us today before the Lord our God, not just Jews, Greeks, everybody. And with whoever is not here with us today. He's talking about generations to come. James 1.16 says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And get this, the word for first fruits is the same word used in... Uh, Romans 16 verse 5 greet also the church in their house greet my brother Epinetus who was the first convert aka first fruits in Christ in Asia same word used in 1 Corinthians 16 15 the household of Stephanus were uh, the first converts aka first fruits in Achaia and that they devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Of the seven times the first fruits offering is mentioned in the New Testament, it's always symbolic of converts 
who have called on the name of the Lord for salvation, repentance, and faith. There's a multiplication of God's goodness flowing through our churches and our families as we disciple the next generation. <laughs> there's a future hope. There's a future home. There's a future harvest, all represented in the feast of first fruits, the fountain of the future. And third, you've got the first fruits themselves. Leviticus 23:10. You shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord. So that you may be accepted on the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Verse 14. And you shall eat neither bread nor grain, parched or fresh, until the same day, until you've brought the offering of your God. It is the statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. And I'll just mention a couple of things here. One is the priority. God's people were supposed to, they, God's people couldn't even walk into the field and harvest any grain until they had been to the temple. Do you know that? They had to go and get the sheaf and take it to the priest before anything else could be done. That word first fruits, it's a double word. Uh, it means literally the beginning of a sacrifice. That's what a first fruit is. Lord, I'm going to sacrifice all of my money. I hope I'm going, to, I'm going to give you all of my money. It's under your watch care for me to do what it will, you know. But I'm going to... I'm going to give you my first fruits. It was a priority. Exodus 23, 19. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Exodus 34, 26. Leviticus 2, 12. Numbers 18, 12. All the best of the oil and all the best of the wine and all of the grain, the first fruits of what they give to the Lord, I give to you. Nehemiah 10, verse 35. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the, the Lord. First fruits remains for us a top priority. But secondly, to me, it always reminds us of the majority, right? We need to remember this when we give. We are never usually giving the majority. The majority of our money does not go to God. Now, it may be used for noble purposes. You may be supporting your family, providing for others, right? I'm not saying spending money on things other than giving to the church is sin, obviously. You got cars, you got gas, you got food, you got things you got to buy, you got vacations. Those aren't against God's commands. And matter of fact, I've heard testimonies of men who give a beyond 50% of their income to the Lord. Matter of fact, the man who discipled me, he gave, he, he always gave over 30% of all, of everything he brought in was given to the Lord. And I know uh, a modern day example of this is the owner of Hobby Lobby. If you've ever listened to his testimony, look it up. He, did, he desires to die with nothing. He wants to give it all away. He's giving over 50% right now, I think, of everything. So go buy some stuff from Hobby Lobby. But remember, all of that goodness only represents the financial side of giving. There, there are gifts, other gifts from God that we will never outgive. Now, I'm thankful for our teachers. I'm thankful for our nursery workers, our praise band. But I'm going to tell you something. An hour praise team practice on a Wednesday night, a changed dirty diaper in, in the nursery, I'm thankful for it. But it doesn't compare to the sacrifice of God. That's why we give because it's so, it's almost humiliating even if I've had my best bumper crop of the year and I've given God more this year than I ever have, it's still dismal in comparison to him. Now, that doesn't mean I don't give it without joy, but there's no comparison. 
There's a fountain, there's a future, there's a first fruit, and then finally there's the fullness. Leviticus 23, 11. Listen to this. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And on the day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb, a year old without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord, and the grain offering with it, and then the drink offering, right? So we see accompanying the first fruit offering, a wave offering of gratitude, followed by or along with it, a lamb, that's meat, grain offering, that's bread, drink offering, that's wine. What does that sound like? Sounds like a full meal to me. And I don't think it's coincidental that uh, the drink offering, the, the drink offering represented the grape harvest. And so it's, it's wine. And where did God perform his first miracle? Where did Jesus perform his first miracle? In John 2, verse 11, this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. That's when he turned water to wine and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. <laughs> so you got a full meal, a full miracle, and a full Messiah. Because the festival of first fruits points to the Messiah's resurrection as the first fruits of the righteous. Right? That's us. You may not feel righteous, but you are by the blood of Jesus. Jesus was resurrected on the same day as the first fruits, on a Sunday. All right? 1 Corinthians 15 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. God gave, God is giving, and God will always give all of himself for all of us. <laughs> when we go to the high priest, which I'm not your high priest, Jesus is your high priest. When we go to the high priest now, how does that translate? Well, our wave offering should be praise, shouts of praise. It should be our wallets, our pocketbooks, our, our time, our talents, our tithes. And our testimony that points to him. God should literally be allowed into, scheduled into every fiber of the lives of his people. That's what these feasts are about. It's about scheduling your calendar around, <laughs> around Christ, not the other way around. Where can I fit Jesus into my day? In between my workout routine and this. Friend, when you step foot on the carpet or wooden floor in your bedroom every day, odds are you're not going to spend a whole lot of time with God unless you schedule it. And that's really what this series is about. I'm thankful for all these demonstrations of it in these seven feasts. But if, if you miss the point of actually changing your calendar to involve something more than what you gave last year, and I'm not talking about just money, then you're not hearing what, what the word is saying. We were to eat, sleep, and breathe Jesus. Well, you're just a fanatic. Yes, yes, I'm a fanatic. I'm gonna spend the rest of my life in heaven. And this little grain of sand called my life is a vapor, it's a mist. And I want, my, I want Christ to take center stage in my home. 
not just my 70 inch TV. Amen. Would you stand? Father God, we love you. You are our first fruit, and we are your first fruit. <laughs> and, and Lord, the converts that are to come, just like the 21 that were baptized here last year, the two that have already been baptized this year, more to come. God, these are your fruits. They're the first fruits of Piperton. I think of Ben Hiley. He's a fruit of Piperton sent out. I think of all these mission endeavors that uh, Tony and Tricia shared with us this morning. The way that you're letting this little lighthouse on, on Poplar Avenue, Highway 57, touch the entire world. We're literally touching the entire world. And a lot of that is because of our first fruits. <laughs> Not just the salvations. We've, we hear of salvations with Ben. We hear of salvations locally with uh, life choices. We witness them personally over in India. And so, God, we, we know that you're up to great things here. God, and it's really a great time to preach this message after we just met and exceeded all our mission offerings. We just say thanks to you, God. You don't just deserve our goal. You deserve us beyond our goal. <laughs> you, you, you get bonus points, God, and we'll never outgive you. So I pray that our lives would be that way. We'd alter the way we think. Lord, I pray today if there's someone who has not understood the benefits of Jesus, <laughs> the overwhelming flood of love that he has for them, I pray they'd call on his name right now and be saved. Ask God to forgive your sin. Trust in him. Believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. He'll save you. He promises to do it if you'll confess him. Come forward and let us know of decisions you've made. I pray if anyone else here wants to join this church and sign up to serve through this church and give of their, not just their tithe, but their time and their talents to the Lord, I pray they do that now. And I know there are people that think I don't have a talent for God. You won't know until you step forward and try to use something. I pray we do that now in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.